1: Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always is a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Bit of a cooler Wednesday afternoon. Seems like the temperature has dropped. But a much needed rain and much appreciated blessing of the rain has been upon us, which is really a wonderful thing. So we're going to go through some interesting ideas and refer to some interesting people, great leaders within the Jewish people. Um, so we should have some fun this next hour. Um, Here on High FM I want to start out with So today is Wednesday um, The 2nd of November It is the 8th of the month of Cheshvan According to the Jewish calendar So let's see some interesting um, Dates from Monday Which was the 6th of Cheshvan All the way through till Friday the 10th of Cheshvan So Monday the 6th of Cheshvan Was actually the anniversary Of the first time Um, A census was done in Eretz Israel In the land of Israel In the year 1948 When the declaration of the state of Israel took place So they did a census On the 6th of Cheshvan Vav Cheshvan Which was Monday And very interestingly um, It came out that there were 780,000 people In the land of Israel At the time 700,000 of them were Jews Which was over 90% of the population The latest census tells us 72 years later, this year, 2022. So the population of Israel, Baruch Hashem has grown tremendously and is now nine and a half million people. Um, and we know the, straight after the state was declared, so many Jews from Sephardi lands, from Arab countries were expelled and about 750,000 Jews quickly entered into the land of Israel and because they were thrown out of their Countries that they were in, because Israel had been declared a state, um, and now 72 years later, the population being being um, just over nine and a half million, over seven million Jews. So it means that the population, the Jewish population in Israel, has grown tenfold in 72 years, which is really wonderful news. It's a wonderful thing to uh, recognize and appreciate. And uh, please, God, it should continue. Can Yerbu, so may the numbers of the Jewish people in the land of Israel increase. And we've seen the Kibbutz galius We've seen the gathering in of the exiles, which is one of the promises um, that Hashem makes to us before Mashiach comes, is that the Jews will return home. And so, unbelievable. In the last 70 years, we've seen that number grow to over 7 million. And uh, we still haven't... Um, Righted the numbers that we lost In the holocaust in the Shoah But please God um, the Jewish people Should continue to grow and should continue to grow In areas of Israel By the way um, as we know there were elections yesterday In in the land of Israel It does look like that uh, The Likud and the Netanyahu Together with the religious parties will be able to form a government Which in my opinion Is very good news Because it will bring much needed stability To Israel both on a security front, and on an economic front, which is good news for the Jewish people. Um, Okay, great. So let's move on now. That was Monday, the 6th of Cheshvan. Yesterday, Tuesday, was the 7th of Cheshvan. Now, the 7th of Cheshvan also was a significant date within the Jewish people because the 7th of Cheshvan is the Yotzat of Rabbi Meir Shapiro. Rabbi Meir Shapiro was one of the leading figures of the Jewish world in Poland. He was born in 1887, and he died in 1933. He died shortly after the Chovetz Chaim died. And it was obviously a great tragedy for the Jewish people to lose such great individuals. The Chovetz Chaim was over 90, and Remer Shapiro was only 47 years old, old when he died. In 1933, he died of typhoid. He contracted typhoid and 30 days later he died Which was a terrible, terrible tragedy For the Jews of Poland and for the Jews of the whole world Because he was such a charismatic, brilliant, courageous leader of the Jewish people He's remembered of Meir Shapira for two main things Um first one being the Daf Yomi program So the Daf Yomi program, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with the Daf Yomi program Daf Yomi program was an idea that Rav Meir Shapiro actually came up with himself. It was his brainwave, and he thought that it would be a brilliant plan that Jews around the world would learn the same Daf of Gomorrah every day and do one Daf per day, um, and that's what the concept is called Daf Yomi. The, the a Daf in Hebrew means a page. So you do a page a day, but a page in Gomorrah is double-sided. You have Amud Aleph and Amud Base. So Rav Meir Mashapira said we should do a daf every day, which would be actually two pages, Amud Aleph and Amud Base. In the Gomorrah and the Talmud, Talmud Bavli, there are 2,711 pages in the, in the Talmud, which is uh, quite significant. So it really makes it, um, 5,422 pages. So it takes 5,000 – if you do a page a day, it takes 5,422 days to complete, which is just over seven years. So that was Rav Meir Shapiro's brainwave, and he now wanted to present it to the Jewish world, um, which is obviously not a simple thing to do. The Jewish world, the, the uh, observant Jewish world, is very much connected to our tradition – and when new ideas come along, we usually are quite suspect of them. We usually do not jump into new and different um, radical ideas. And so it takes a while for such um, creative concepts to gain traction within the observant Jewish world. For good reason, because we've had our tradition. It's a tradition that links us all the way back to Mount Sinai. Over three thousand years ago and it's worked for the Jewish people, it's kept us connected to Hashem, it's ensured that we do Hashem's will, our tradition, our lifestyle, our observance of Hashem's mitzvahs although we embrace the modern world and we use the modern world as much as we can, but as long as it doesn't contradict or undermine our observance and our tradition. And so Rabbi Meshapura comes with this you know new, fresh creative idea. And he wants to present it to the Chachamim, to the sages, um, to the what we call G'doyim, the great individuals of that generation. And so he presents it to the Agudas Israel Convention in 1923. And uh, he was a young man of 36 years old, and he's presenting to all these great rabbis who had been... Leading their communities for decades They were tremendous Chachamim over there And great and holy people And Rav Shapira gets up And he says I have an idea that I would like to Present Which I think would be very significant And important For the future of Klaenstra, of the Jewish people And so he described it He was a brilliant orator, by the way He was absolutely brilliant He, he in fact was a member of parliament He was the first Jewish member of parliament in Poland um, so how did he present this concept? He quoted a Gemurra in Yuvamus, the Gemurra in, in Yuvamus "Kuf Kufchaf Aleph, Amud Aleph, talks of Rabban Gambliel, who was on a ship, and he was on a ship, he had just left shore, and he saw the a massive storm uh, had was blown in, and realized that he would have to return back to shore, otherwise they wouldn't make it through the storm. And he saw that there was another boat that was actually further out than his boat. And he knew that Rabbi Akiva was on that boat. He was some sort of, you know, maritime expert, Ravan Gamliel. So he knew how to negotiate the storm and get his boat back to the harbor. But he was concerned that Rabbi Akiva or the captain of the boat that Rabbi Akiva was on wouldn't be able to do so. Anyway, he gets back to the dry land safely, Baruch Hashem. He goes to the base midrash and he sees Rabbi Akiva's there giving a shear. So he says to Rabbi Akiva, "Amartil." Or the Gemara says that Rabbi Gabriel said to him, "Bni me'halchai." He said, "My son, how did you? How did this happen? How did you get here? There was such a terrible storm." So Rabbi Akiva answers and he says, "Amalei." Rabbi Akiva answers back to Rabbi Gamliel, "Daf shal sfinah is daminli." So he says, "A daf could be could mean a piece of wood or it could mean a page." That's the same word in Hebrew. So he said, A piece of wood from the ship, His dam um, and Leah, I was able to find. called gal v'gal. Sheba'i Love nasali roshi. And as each wave came, I held on to this duff, to this piece of wood, and it was I was able to keep my head above the waves that were coming in. So Romero Shapiro said, This duff, this duff of wood, saved Rabbi Akiva from the waves of the sea. He says, the Duff of Gomorrah will save us from the waves of materialism that are drowning us in our society, in our modern world, in the 20th century. And uh, that was his brilliant presentation, absolutely brilliant play and words and presentation. And it was quite prophetic almost, because now we, uh, the, the Daf Yomi started, was launched on the 11th of September 1923. That, that Rosh Hashanah, they took it on. In fact, the Geruch Hasidim were the first ones to grab onto the idea. And they started, the Geruch said, we're going to start with the first daf of Brochus on Rosh Hashanah of 1923. Um, The cycle, as I mentioned, takes just over seven years. We're now on the 14th cycle of Daf Yomi. um, And the the current cycle will now end on the 7th of June, 2027. So it's an incredible innovation of Master Pira. really transformed the world and changed the world significantly. With this great idea There are many, many hundreds of thousands of Jews That learn their daf every day Many, many Jews in South Africa do so as well They've joined the program I'm in my I have a number of holy Jews That do it every day um, Which is just an amazing thing And a wonderful innovation of the great and holy Rav Mer Shapiro Whose site 89th site, Was yesterday Please stay with us, we'll be back in a moment
0: This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny saxteen on 101.9 High FM.
1: Okay, great. So we're talking about Ramea Shapira. Right? There's just one more thing I want to mention about Ramea Shapira, your was yesterday, who's 89th Yon title was yesterday. The the second, he's obviously known for Dafyomi, as we mentioned, and he's also very well known for the great yeshiva that he built, which is called Chokhmei Lublin. Um, I was actually uh, in the yeshiva. I was uh, fortunate enough to visit it. In 2019, I went to Poland and Lithuania, and a big part of that trip was going to the, the yeshiva. They've actually turned it into a hotel so the original base midrash is there. It's obviously been refurbished, but you see the base midrash, you see the library. It was a very famous library with 100,000 books were there. The Nazis burnt them and destroyed them. But the building still stands, and it is a hotel. So it's just an incredible thing to go to that yeshiva. Well, Rav Meir Shapiro had a great vision and dream to build in Poland a great yeshiva to rival, well, not to rival, but to match, to mirror the great yeshivas in Lithuania. So, you know, the great yeshivas of Volozhin, Lva, of Slobodka, of Novodok, of Mir, of Ponović, which were in Lithuania. In Poland, they didn't have yeshivas. Um, as I actually mentioned last week, we discussed the Vulmagun, and we discussed Rav Chaim of Lodzian. In fact, we're going to, air, we, a little bit later, we're going to talk about a beautiful idea of Rav Chaim of Lodzian about R- Vino. Um so Chaim of Velazhen started with Yeshiva, and then all the other great Lithuanian Yeshivas were born from the mother Yeshiva of Velazhen. But Poland didn't have Yeshivas. And so Rav, Rav Shapira, Poland was more Hasidish, and, um Lithuania was, um was not Hasidish. So, uh, what's what we call Yeshivish. And so they, Rabmashapira saw the value and saw the impact <coughs> that the Yeshivas had on the community and on the Jewish people, and he saw the need for it in Poland as well. So he fulfilled his dream of building a great yeshiva in Poland. He did so in Lublin. Um, He started, he laid the cornerstone in uh, May 1924, and it was a a huge event. There were 20,000 people that were there, and um, they actually completed the yeshiva six years later in June 1930. Um, and Rav was the Rosh Hashiva. Again, when it was completed and opened, it was a huge ceremony. 10,000 people were there. And it was a landmark event in the history of Polish Jewry because it became the, the shining light in Polish, in Poland. And many, many thousands of Talmudim uh, went through the doors of the Chochmei Lublin Shiva. And, uh, they went on to change the, the, Jewish world and to transform the Jewish world. There are many great, um, people even who have had a great impact in modern times that were Talmud of Lublin, like, um, the, uh, great Rav Shmuel Halevi Vosna, uh, the Shevet Halevi, whose Psakim, whose halachic rulings are, are followed, um, very closely today. He was a Talmud of the Yeshiva of Lublin, um, as well as many other great people who, have had a, a tremendous impact on the Jewish people. So that's the second great thing he did. In fact, it uh, comes to mind a, a story, um, when Ramesh Shapiro would, would give shirim, and he was brilliant. He was just a brilliant person and his understanding of Torah and his unique and novel approach to certain sukkies, to certain uh, Torah subjects and his eloquence and ability to communicate them were very, very unique. And often, so he would give the shirim in the yeshiva, and the bokrim would be downstairs. And often, balabatim, often people that weren't part of the yeshiva, but they were working people, wanted to come and hear Rav Meir Shapiro's shirim, And when, they usually went upstairs. And I've been there. You can see there's an upstairs section that looks down on the base midrash downstairs. And so once there was a wealthy man from Poland and he wanted to, sit downstairs with the Bokhrim. And the Bokhrim said, you know, usually this is for the yeshiva Bukhari, um and we're pretty full today, so uh, you would need to go upstairs. The guy was very put out, and the guy was quite an arrogant individual, and he was uh, very upset that he had been sent upstairs. Anyway, he went upstairs. After the shir, um Rabbi Meishapiro saw this whole, you know, incident, and he went to him and he said, I saw you were sitting upstairs. He said, yes. Rabbi Shapiro said was appropriate you appropriate that you sat there because you're used to looking down on the Talmudim. So, you know, like he was he was a very brilliant sharp person. That's one story that actually happened in the yeshiva. And uh it's a worthwhile um it's a worthwhile trip to go to Poland, Lithuania, go to the great sites of Jewish history, and uh, one of them is of course the Chokhmeh Lublin. Okay, so that was yesterday, the seventh of Cheshvan." Today is the 8th of Cheshvan. And the 8th of Cheshvan is a important day because today is the Yotzat of Rabbeinu Yona. Rabbeinu Yona was, um, uh, who is known as the Rabbeinu Yona of Gerona. He was born in 1180, died in 1263. Uh, That's at a similar time to the Rambam. Rambam died in 1204. So he was a younger man when the Rambam was an older man. Um, but he was quite critical of the Rambam's Moreh Novuchim, which is the guide to the perplexed. Um, and as a result of his criticisms, well, not, it uh, well, wasn't as a result, but the, the government, the governmental authorities, um, used his criticism as a pretext to burn, um, all the forum of the Rambam. They were just anti-Semitic, the government. Um, and they, they were Christian anti-Semites. And so any opportunity to, um, attack and weaken and undermine the Jewish community they would take And so they said even your own criticizes the Rambam And so they said his his uh, works and his philosophy Was a, an attack on Christianity And so they burnt his books And Rabbi Yonah took this tragedy as a sign from Shamaim from heaven That uh, Hashem was giving him, Musa was rebuking him And in order to repair the damage that he felt he had done he wrote Shari Tshuva. Shari Tshuva is one of the great works we have called The Gates of Repentance. And it uh, it describes how a human being can move forward, can change, can grow, can improve um, through introspection and through self-work. So that's one of the great works we have, and it was a result of this incident. So today is the Yotat of Rabbeinu Yona, Yonah, um, the great Rishon, who... Um, Died in the year 1263. Okay, good. Let's keep going. As we mentioned, we're going to go through you know these dates. So today is the 8th, and tomorrow is the 9th of Cheshvan. The 9th of Cheshvan um, is the Yotzat tomorrow, tonight and tomorrow, of the Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher ben Yechil. And he was one of the great commentators of the Talmud. He was just after Rabbanu actually. He was born in 1250 and he died in the year 1327. And he's one of the greatest commentators, Peirushim, on, um, the Talmud, on Talmud Bavli on the Gemara. He's, he's known as the Rosh because that's the acronym of his name, Rabbanu Asher. Um, and, uh, he was a person of, of immense greatness. He lived at the time of the medieval crusades. And uh, out of fear of being captured, he left Germany, that's where he was, and he went to live in Spain. Um, and the Shuch the, the rabbi Yosef Karo, who was uh, 200 years later, so he, he gives great weight to the opinions of the Rosh, and very often refers to the Rosh. Um, he was the father of the Rosh. Rabbeinu Asher was the father of eight sons, and one of them was the Tur and the great, the groundbreaking work of in Jewish law called the Tur was the son of the Rosh. And it's the Rosh's Yotzat today uh, tomorrow, sorry, the ninth Kheshvan. And his impact on the Jewish world was was very, very significant and it's very much felt until this day we, we learn the Rosh whenever we learn a sukya and we being thorough in the learning we will definitely look at the Rosh and his opinion and it always has a significant Bearing on what the Pesach Is of Rav uh, Yosef Kara of the Shulchan Aruch Okay great So let's discuss now um, Friday Is the 10th of Cheshvan The 10th of Cheshvan is actually Interestingly enough the anniversary Of when Noach and his Family went into The Teva went into the Ark ok. So we just read Parshas Noach And we read About the floods and how all of the degenerate society of the times of Noach was drowned in the flood and it was only Noach and his family that survived. So they went into the ark in the year of 1656 from creation, uh, the 10th of Cheshband. So the anniversary of that is on Friday. Um, it was only, it took seven days for the intense rains, um, to, to actually, um, uh You know, start for forty days, forty days. It started a little bit, but 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 it it was only um, after those forty days and forty nights that that the, that the floods took place. Now, there was a delay. The reason why it was delayed is that there was a mourning period for Moshe um, Shelach. Moshe Shelach, the translation I think is Methuselah. Moshe Shelach was the grandfather of Noach, and he had just died who was 969 years old, which is the oldest human being in history. And so they waited until the Shiva was, Hashem waited until Shiva was over for the flood to start properly. Um, and Noah and his family were then in the Teva, in the ark, for over a year until the waters had sufficiently subsided and then they could re-emerge out of the ark back onto dry land. So that is this Friday, this coming Friday. So there's a beautiful idea we mentioned Rav Chaim Volozhin earlier um, that he writes on Pirkei Avos. Um, if one looks in Pirkei Avos in the fifth chapter, Perk Hay of Pirkei Avos, so the second Mishnah reads and says, "Asara do- mi Adam ba'adunueh. There are ten generations from Adam to Noah. kama That teaches us how slow Hashem is to anger, how patient Hashem is with us human beings. Hashem was patient enough and waited ten generations until He destroyed humanity, who were completely degenerate and had, um, had uh, were behaving in a very immoral way. But Hashem didn't do it immediately. Hashem waited ten generations. So that's what the the Mishnah says. The Mishnah continues says, "Asar Adoros Ad Abraham." And then there were ten generations from Noah until Abraham. Again, it shows us how patient Hashem is with human beings, how slow Hashem is to anger. Because all the generations, um, even after Noah, they angered Hashem and they were also morally degenerate. Until Abraham came, and he received the reward of all of them. In other words, he's the first one to fulfill the purpose of creation and to, um, and to bring the purpose, to bring the world into, um, the service of Hashem and the understanding that there's one God and our mission and purpose in this world is to serve that God. That come, came from Avram Avin, the first human being since creation to do that properly. Um, But Hashem waited 20 generations until a person would come. That's Hashem's patience. 10 generations wiped him out, another 10 generations, and then we have Abraham. So Hashem waited and waited, and then Abraham changed the destiny of humanity for all time. Um, So Abraham says, so the next Mishnah, Mishnah Gimel, says that um, And the next Mishnah says that there were 10 tests, 10 challenges that Abraham was tested. But Ahmed Bukulam, he stood up to all of them, and that teaches us how endearing Abraham Avinu was to Hashem, how beloved he was to Hashem. So the Rav Chaim Veloshin asks and he says, why in Mishnah base it says Abraham, although at the end of Mishnah base it also says Abraham Avinu, but also, at the end of Mishnah base it says Abraham Avinu, and Mr. Gimel, Gimel says Abraham Avinu. Why is it Abraham Avinu? It says first Abraham and then Abraham Avinu. What's the, why did it change? So he explains the um, Ruach Chaim, Rav Chaim on his Perushim, on Pirke Abus. He says, because in order to be an Avinu, in order to be a father, that means that the father has generations that follow and descendants. So he has to have a father has to have something to give over to the next generation. And that um, you can only give over something that you own, that you, what we call in Hebrew, make a kinyon on. That is yours, that you've made an acquisition on. And Abraham became Avraham Avinu because he made ownership of certain spiritual qualities, certain spiritual characteristics. And once he made ownership of those, once they became a part of him, he bequeathed them to all the generations of his descendants that would follow because they were his and then they passed down the generations. So Rabbi Elephant explains this in a beautiful way. He says like, you know, let's say, Somebody is going to be inheriting, somebody passes away, Chas Vashalam, God forbid. And, um, the person had, who passed away, had a beautiful car, a very fancy car, a fancy Lexus or whatever it may be. And that person also had a big fancy house. And so the children thought that they were inheriting these things. And after, but after the Shiva, uh, they get a knock on the door, it's Avis. And Avis says, no, that, that car never belonged to your parent. That car always belonged to us. That's our car. That's a hired car. It belongs to us. And then a few days later, they get knocked on the door. It's the bank. The bank says, "Um, this house belongs to us. This house is not being paid for. This is the property of the bank. And so the children who thought they were inheriting this beautiful car and this beautiful house don't inherit anything because it didn't really belong to their parent. So likewise spiritually. We only inherit that which is ours, that which we we make an acquisition on. And in fact, that's what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says at the beginning of is Noach. So it says, Esa lokim um, hisalech Noach. So Noach, he walked with God. And Rashi over there on the Pasuk says an interesting thing. Rashi says that there's a difference between Noach and Avraham. And um, he says, Esa lokim hisalech Noach. uba Avraham, who Oymer hitchalech l'fanay? About Abraham, the pasuk says that that we see in Parakut Zion. Pasuk Alek says that Abraham walked in front of me, whereas with Noah, it says with God Noah walked. So says Rashi, Asher te'alakti um, l'fanav. Noah had tzarek sad l'tamchoy. Noah needed assistance and support. Avraham Abraham haya mitchazek u'mahalech betzidko me'alav. But Abraham, he was strengthened and he walked in his righteousness on his own. Hashem had to prop up Noah. Hashem had to hold Noah up. But Abraham, he was able to walk on his own. He was a self-made man in his righteousness and his spiritual greatness. So Abraham was me And that is the message over here. Is that last week actually we spoke about Noah and we spoke about how Our generation has uh, become so degenerate also, and how do we pass it on to the next generation? How do we ensure that our we pass on to our children the right morals and the right values and the tradition that we receive from God? So that's a difficult question. The way we do it is we acquire it ourselves. We'll continue with that in a moment. Please stay with us. This is Focus on Our Sages
0: with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM.
1: We're discussing how is it that we successfully attempt to pass on our holy tradition to the next generation. Uh, Noyach was strong. Noach was apart from the society, Noach was able to stand firm in his convictions and swim against the tide and resist the herd mentality. How do we do the same? How do we succeed in managing to resist the influence of the society when it's a negative influence? If one's part of a, a positive society, that's wonderful. And then one gets positively influenced by their environment. But uh, generally speaking, in our world today, the influences are not positive, and especially um, in our modern technologically advanced world where the influences are very much felt by everybody because with the technology, it all seeps in through the walls via our devices, and we're exposed to all the ideas of the world. And it's not an easy time to live, it's not an easy time to bring up children. It's not an easy time to grow up as a child because there are all of these weird and ridiculous, absolutely crazy ideas that are being pushed by society. It's just gone nuts, hasn't it? We don't even know what our gender is anymore. That's how far gone um, the world is. And in order to bring up stable children with a healthy self-esteem, and a, and a healthy identity And with the right morals and values That are not made up by human beings Who change things as they go along To suit their agendas But rather they come from God It's a divine system That as Jews we have blessed to inherit That was given to our ancestors at Mount Sinai So how do we successfully communicate that to our children And show them the relevance and importance and power and beauty of our holy tradition that God gave us. So that's not a simple thing at all. It's very, very difficult. So the point we're making now is that if we follow the example of Avraham, who's called Avram Avinu, and the Ruach Haim, Rash Haim Peruke Abu says he's Avram Avinu because he acquired those spiritual attributes. Um, and it says he was tested. Those ten tests that were sent to Avram by Hashem, they brought out his latent potential. And they became a part of him. And once they became a part of him, he was able to then pass them down and bequeath them to the future generations. So those And those spiritual attributes are now part of the DNA of a Jew. Rechaim Velozhin says, just like we have a connection to Israel, we want to go to the land of Israel. As I started the show with at Baruch Hashem, the population of Israel has grown 10 times in its short 72 years. And there's over now over seven million Jews in Eretz Israel. So that instinct to be drawn to and go to Eretz Israel comes from Adram Avinu, Leich Lecha, this week's Pasha. He went to the land of Israel. We have the ability to have tremendous and serious in the service of Hashem. Um, we've seen through the, through the centuries how Jews who didn't have great Torah knowledge were, were prepared to give their lives up in the service of Hashem. Racham Vilagen says that also comes from Abraham Avinu. It's also part of our spiritual DNA that we've inherited, just like Abraham did it. Um, in the Kishana Esh. he went. He was uh, put into. He went into this furnace um, because he stood by his values and his principles. So, so a person has to acquire it themselves, and then they can pass it down to their children. So that's our test. This is supposed to say: When are my actions? Going to um, Be like the actions of our Great patriarchs and matriarchs When am I going to um, To um, Represent them, to mirror them in my life When am I going to achieve what they achieved So we also then have to be love. like Abraham was love, He was self-made in terms of His spiritual achievements So we need to do the same We need to have a serious nefres, self-sacrifice And we need to serve Hashem In a stable way in a way that may I love means it doesn't depend on outside circumstances. You know, everything has to be just right. The weather has to be right. My mood has to be right. It all has to, it all has to be in place in order for me to go to shul, in order for me to put on tfilin, in order for me to keep Shabbos. So that's not may I love. May I love means that we make commitments and we stick to those commitments and they become a part of us. We connect to them in a very deep way. They resonate with us in a very deep way. Like Shmiro Shabbos, you know, we got the Shabbos project coming up soon, um, in two weeks' time. And Shabbos is the foundation of what it means to be a Jew. Shabbos, by keeping Shabbos, we show that we believe that God created the world. Shabbos is Zeche Lamaseh Bereshis. So a child needs to see the parent, that they connect to the depths of Shabbos, that they don't do creative activity because they bear testimony to the fact that there's a God who created the world, which is a pretty obvious thing. Um, one just has to open one 's eyes and see that that 's very very obvious, and so the, the the great spiritual ideas of the Torah are supposed to resonate very deeply within us, and we 're supposed to commit ourselves to them and be a stable um, individual who who has a um, long lasting commitment which is real and which is tangible in the life of a person and in the life of our children. when they see that then there 's a chance that they will Inherit this spiritual legacy that we want to pass down to them. And, uh, part of that also is, of course, having a stable home, having a stable marriage, having a stable relationship with our children, and having a stable relationship with our with Melech Melchem Lachim Akarish So when we do that in a way in which it's May love we make a, a, um, proper, clear, acquisition of these things in other words they become a part of us so that's when we become you know, that's when we become a parent and that's when we have the ability please God to hand over and bequeath those things to our children
0: This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny saxteen on 101.9 High FM
1: So let's finish off with one final idea. Um, we see, so we've mentioned Avram Avinu, and he's called Avinu because he made an acquisition of these spiritual characteristics and, and, and attributes. Um, we see that towards the end of the Parsha, Avram's engaged in a war. He goes to rescue his nephew Lot. He fights against the kings and defeats them. And after that battle, so the Pasuk says, after these things, Hayad Hashem El Avram. So Hashem spoke to Abraham in a vision and said, Al tira Magen Don't be worried, Avram. My I will protect you and your merit is great. Rashi says on um, the fact that Hashem says that that your merit is great. Um, he says, let me just find the Rashi over here. Umma she that which you're concerned about receiving reward, (laughs) that your reward is great. So let's try and understand what's going on over here. Abraham, the great individual who served Hashem, who brought monotheism to the world, was the first one in the history of the world to recognize the Creator and to search for the Creator and to serve the Creator. Um, He's now worried that he's going to lose his merit. He's worried that he's lost his merits. After this war You know what's going on How could that be You know Abraham was, was The whole world was worthwhile Because of Abraham So it says in Dere Hashem So how could Abraham be worried That he won't have any reward In the next world in eternity So I, I think it's a glimpse over here Into the mindset of Abraham Of Abraham of Yenu, Which needs to be all of our mindset And that is That there's nothing that's due to us That we're not entitled to anything And there's nothing that we uh, have a right to. In other words, when we look at life, and this is the way we should look at life, so we see a world, we see an exquisite world, we see a world which is colored with the magnificent birds, a world which has landscapes of beautiful mountains. I was just in Drakensberg last week, and those rolling hills and the streams in the valleys, between the mountains, are absolutely breathtaking. The color of the sea, the sun is shining. We're in Gauteng, but I'm sure many of us are going to go to the coast um, in December. You see the beautiful colors of the ocean. You go to the South African bush felt, the low felt, and you see those African landscapes and the magnificence of a leopard. Have you ever seen a leopard in the bush? It takes your breath away how beautiful that animal is. And the beauty of a lilac-breasted roller, a beautiful bird. Hashem created a magnificent world for us to live in. Not only that, but Hashem gave us delicious food of different flavor, of different color, of different aroma. Not only that, but Hashem gives us eyes to see and a mouth to taste and a nose to smell and ears to hear and hands and feet and the magnificent functioning of the human body. Not only that, but Hashem gives us life itself. Hashem gives us life. What's life worth? What would you pay for your life? What's the value of a human life? It's billions of dollars. There's no value for human life. The gift of life is is infinite. is beyond description. So we have... Hashem gives us so much. Hashem showers us with all of this blessing. And it's not... We're not entitled to it. We don't deserve it. Hashem gives it to us. And we shouldn't make the mistake and think that it's just a, a one free ride. That they're it's not a free lunch. There are no free lunches. As the Chavos Baba says, that from the day we're born, so the account is opened. And how much do we put back in the account? How much do we give back to Hashem? Very, very little. So when we view it as we should, it, with this perspective, we realize that everything we have is by the grace of God, is Hashem's blessing. And we might do a little bit here and a little bit there, but it doesn't really make up for and pay back for the unbelievable gifts that we receive from Hashem. So that's Abraham's thought process. Abraham thinks, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not even breaking even. And now Hashem performs a miracle for me. Now Hashem saves me in this war from these kings. It was a miraculous battle that Abraham won. So in addition to me not even paying back my debts, I'm now given another $100 million. So he thinks he's worried Abraham. He's concerned. And Hashem comes and Hashem wants to lay his fears and says, Don't worry, Avraham. You still have a tremendous amount of reward. And that should be all of our mindset, is to appreciate the tremendous blessings that we receive from Hashem. And please, God, we do the best we can In this very short life that we have to address, starting to pay back Hashem for the tremendous blessings that He gives us each moment of our lives. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day.